welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, and today we're talking with Rafael de Klerk, Executive Vice President of Distributed Solutions at EDF Renewables North America. Rafael, welcome. Thanks for having me here. Uh, very happy to be with you and Clean Technica today. And I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, as I think listeners should know. And I think the first thing to start with might be EDF is sort of one of those gigantic corporations that you see involved everywhere all over the world. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you have projects in Antarctica, you know, you're sort of one of those one of those big renewable energy and overall energy companies. I know you focus on EDF Renewables North America, but I'm just curious a little bit about what your global footprint is, your global kind of mission and and uh, tra- what's happening during the energy transition for you. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I don't know if people are very familiar with EDF uh, in North America, but it's one of the largest producers of electricity in the world. Definitely one of the largest producers of decarbonated electricity. EDF operates uh, as a regulated utility in Europe, in France, the UK, in Italy, Belgium. And as far as North America is concerned, we were very focused on the renewables part of our business. We, uh, as the EDF group, have about 150,000 employees in the world. It's a $20 billion EBDA company. So it's it's a large group focused on energy and power that has been really entirely dedicated to decarboning the electricity production uh, really since uh, the, the beginning of the 2010. It, it shows in the US with EDF renewables, uh, we are one of the largest developers and builder of uh, renewable projects from offshore to solar to batteries to uh, offshore wind as well. And specifically, as far as I'm concerned, I focus on distributed activities. So everything that we do on site for the customers. And we use a brand name for this that is reflecting the flexibility that we offer at the end of the grid. It's PowerFlex. And with PowerFlex, we can offer CNI commercial and industrial customers the full suite of products that allow them to be clean on site, solar, storage, and smart EV chargings that really pair well together. And I think it's something we probably want to talk a bit about today. I was going to ask something else, but on that last point, do you also integrate wind at all ever? Um, I know in some regions, you know, there's good to have a kind of daytime, nighttime balance of solar and wind. So indirectly we do because we are going to adapt the uh, charging software or charging of the battery stationary or in the cars to what the grid is signaling to us. And some customers are going to say, we want to make sure that we charge as green as possible And then you look at the signal that you get from the grid, or you look at some other providers, like what time that give us, what's the the percentage of carbon emission in the the production of electricity at the time you're you're consuming. And so we can adapt and indirectly we benefit from wind if we are in the windy region and and, uh, we are trying to minimize the carbon production as we charge those batteries. So it's not direct, it's not on site, but indirectly we we can do that with the software. An extremely smart, reflex, uh, flexible 
grid solutions. Yep. And can you say anything about the kind of percentage of energy projects that are renewables or do you have, do have those numbers uh, on the global footprint or not, not at the moment? Well, so renewables, as far as the share of new investment, it is a majority of the new investment that are in renewables. Now, if you include all decarbonated form of energy, i.e. nuclear, it's everything that EDF does. EDF owns and operates the 58 nuclear uh, re reactors in France, uh, operates nuclear in, in the UK and other parts of the world. This is all decarbonated. It's not renewables in the same sense as what we do with wind and solar, but it is uh, not emitting any CO2. And that's all EDF does. And it is, uh, it, it is a way to, uh, to fight against the climate change. Yeah, um, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, we won't get into nu nuclear issue, but I will just you know, put it out there that, I mean, I'm heavily in, in favor of keeping good nuclear plants online as, uh, as we try to get rid of fossil fuel plants. So, you know, I've been covering this sector since 2010, so 11 years. So it's sort of, it's on the one hand, it's, it's a little crazy, the growth that we've seen, but on the other hand, it's what we expected in 2010. So it's like, you know, we saw it coming. I mean, maybe it's a bit, a bit faster, a bit stronger than, than uh, most people forecasted, but, but it's been a dramatic change that you could see coming. So I'm curious, working with commercial, you know, big, big commercial players, big industry, I'm just curious how, how that, you know, how your sort of relationship with customers has changed in that in the past few years or several years as the, as the renewable energy world has sort of blown up in a positive yeah, way. Yeah, I think it's a very good point that we've seen it coming. We knew it was going to happen. Or hindsight is always 2020, but I think there was really a strong consensus on the fact that we were going towards a transition with less, less carbon emission in power production. We saw also that it, it wasn't only the technology that was becoming available and cheaper, but also the demand from customers was being clearly pushed towards less carbon. And we anticipated that. And I say we as an industry, which is good and bad. It's good because it means that there was such a momentum that allowed us to achieve those very big numbers in terms of installation of, of renewables that actually beat most of the expectation of the early 2010s. The flip side of it is that you end up in a situation where everybody sort of knows it's going to happen, but sometimes the uh, expectations are higher than what the market is ready to offer. And one good example of that is what you see with electrification of fleets. A lot of the large players that are in the logistics businesses or in any type of business, they know that they want to electrify especially the last miles. They know it's coming. It's very clear, all the projections are clear there, but there's no vehicle. So we're still waiting for those vehicles to come out of, of the production lines of the traditional OEMs or of the newcomers. And so we are seeing this with our CNI customers where we, are, we have been anticipating that, the fact that the, the, the clean energy production on site and the need to electrify transportation were going to converge, but there's still areas where we are waiting for the vehicles to be ready. We're waiting for the price of batteries to continue to go down further. So stationary batteries make perfect sense, not only in California. That said, I think we really had a turning point here where we're seeing in some places, and I mentioned California, it's going to be very often the, the uh, uh, hopefully the harbinger of what's, what's gonna happen in the rest of the nation. You, we are seeing customers that are telling us 
yes, we want electric vehicles, not only the solar that you're offering and the storage that is making sense in California because solar penetration is so high, but we also want to talk about EVs. And this is where PowerFlex brings something that is unique because we're the best at building those large parking lots with 50 or more charging stations while keeping the cost very low. Yeah, I mean, it's something, you know, it's easy to write about, it's easy to talk about, but it's, when a transition happens rather quickly, it's, you know, I, I always think of catching a wave and surfing, which I've never done. I'm from Southwest Florida where we don't have waves. You know, I just think you have to time it perfectly. And it's like, if you don't, you're, you've, you fall, if you've do, if you're too, you know, too ahead or too behind, you fall. So it's like, it's very challenging. It must be very hard for someone, a big company to plan these changes. It is funny with the delivery, the last mile delivery, as you say, also even, you know, bigger, heavier duty electric vehicles, they have been a little behind. We've seen the huge growth in EV market share in Europe, Tesla everywhere, but you still have, when you look at the delivery options, they're sort of meager for EVs and even Tesla can't get the semi to production yet. So it's like, it must be a little challenging. How, do, how have you seen customer needs sort of changing in the past few years as these different, you know, as everyone's watching the same kind of trends and trying to figure out when to catch the wave or whatever? Yeah. Everyone is trying to catch the wave, not only the, the energy companies, but also the, the corporate clients. The swell is there. So we're going to be able to catch some wave at some point. But it's true that we, some other players have gotten the timing wrong. I think what we are seeing now is that the level of commitments from the corporates is uh, really picking up. You look at the number of subscribers to RE100, you look at the number of subscribers to EV100. So those are pledges that are made by CNI customers, commercial and industrial players to commit to 100% renewables, commit to 100% of electrified transportation. Those numbers are really ramping up and the gap that is left between what they pledged and what needs to be done is huge and needs to be filled by players like us, where we are able to help them very efficiently is when they take a holistic view. They understand that it's not renewables on one hand and uh, EVs on the other. So you look at it as the whole part of the fight against climate change that's going to have the most immediate impact. As you know, it's more than 50% of the emissions in the US that are coming from transportation and the power sector. So you take those two together where solutions are coming, the trends are very clear, and you can offer your customers an opportunity to very visibly change the way they're consuming electricity on site. They offer perks to their employees with the ability to come and charge their vehicle with clean electrons when they're in places like California. And that we were not seeing four years ago and we are seeing today as like every single conversation is about the holistic possibilities that we offer. It doesn't mean that it translates into the whole clean microgrid every time, but there is a conversation every time. Yeah, And that yeah, is new. Know. I don't know how much you live in the same kind of, you know, I live in a bit of a bubble where, you know, we mostly spend a lot of the time talking about this stuff to people who have looked at it for years. So it's always fascinating, like something I'm really always curious about when I see mass media talk about these topics or it get to a broader audience or you talk about it with someone who's not in this world. And you see these kind of discussions that people are having are like what, you know, discussions we might've had five or 10 years ago 
but it but it's an interesting thing you point out is that now we've gone through those discussions and the subsequent discussions and the discussions after that and you have sort of the, the way you framed it was beautiful i, I can't really fit, you know do anything better than that how you sort of put how it's got to all be together so it's a really interesting thing but also made me just sort of clicked in my head it's good that they have people to go to who have like you like you i mean not to not to float your boat or anything but it's it's a it's really a good thing that you know the solutions are sort of ready there so can you tell us about more what the powerflex um what powerflex is and how that is what uh, how that handles sort of the, the challenges and the opportunities that you just sort of mentioned yeah yeah i think powerflex is really aiming at doing exactly what you what you described being the one-stop shop for all the clean energy on-site needs of commercial and industrial customers. And today, the most obvious things to tackle are solar, stationary storage, and smart EV charging. In addition to that, what PowerFlex offers is the ability to coordinate those different elements thanks to a software that has taken years to develop and that is really integrating the, integrating the different pieces. The offerings go from a solar and storage and possibly an EV parking lot that we can sell to the customers or we can help find financing solutions for the customers. So we, we sign an energy agreement. It can be a PPA, it can be an energy saving agreement and we a financing solution for the customer. This is what we offer today. We are really both a product company. We develop the software that is going to make this work and a project company. We are delivering the solutions for our customers. We are developing the projects, um, taking care of the origination, the permitting, the interconnection, making sure that they're actually built. So we, we are the construction manager. And then we can operate those projects over the long term, over 20 years or more. If, if um, you look at some of, some of the projects we have, they can, they can expand beyond, beyond 20 years. Yeah, well, I think we'll come back to the integrated topic, but I, but at first, Kiri, can you say anything about major customers, clients you've had with this PowerFlex, or is that something you can't really talk about? Um, well, there, there, are, I cannot talk about most of the customers, uh, but uh, there are some customers that that are okay that we we uh, share their names, I, or some that are public. Like if you if you take the San Diego area, for example, we've built a battery for the San Diego Zoo. If you look at what we're doing with the port of San Diego, it's a, an integrated microgrid there. So it is more than just uh, storage and solar. It's making sure that we provide resilience to key infrastructure. Uh, there are some very large logistics players that have uh, worked extensively with us on the solar side and are looking at what, what else we can, we can do with them. Same on the retail side, some, some of the big box retailers that have been very strong engine for the growth of CNI solar in particular, have worked with us and continue to work with us. We take great pride in the fact that 75% of our customers have done more than one system with us. So we really want to make sure that we are building a strong relationship with the customers that they, they see that they can trust, we will actually build and deliver on time and on budget. What, what this allows us is then in time to go back to the customer and say, yeah, we, we built this solar system three years ago. We didn't talk about EVs at the time. It is really a relevant topic for you today in New York or in California or, or in some regions where it's, it's uh, incentivized. And we can have those conversations because we've, we've demonstrated we could deliver. 
Yeah, I will. I will just maybe correct one thing you said. So seventy-five percent is a really good return. I would just say seventy-five percent so far, right? So you can you have potential to increase that. <laughs> Sorry, you're yeah, right. But that's, you're but that's very right. impressive. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just no, saw the right. oppor- opportunity. Right. But that's really impressive. I mean, that's that's truly impressive. And there are a lot of competitors in this field. There's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of people offering similar kind of you know packaged uh, deals. What would you say is your kind of competitive advantage in that in that field? Yeah. So I think if you really look at players who are able to offer the three elements of solar storage and EVs, it's actually a very limited pool of players. They're players that say they can do it, but people who have actually delivered and build those microgrids, like we have one in San Diego that has been placed in service this year that has a one megawatt solar rooftop that has a 250 kilowatt batteries and 50 EV chargers on the same site, orchestrated by our own energy management system. You actually have very few players that are, that are able to do that today. But back to the point of we're seeing the trend. Yes, there are other players that have seen that and that are going to, commun- to come and, and compete with us. There, there are two main aspects of how we differentiate. One, we are able to build those customer relationships that are long lasting, that are based on really a partnership approach with the customers. It's not about doing onesies and twosies. You need to really build a program so you minimize the cost for the customers and for us too, because it's, it's, it, it, goes, uh, it goes hand in hand. And the other piece is really the software. The software has been built leveraging the years of experience that EDF had on the um, storage side in particular. EDF has the obligation to serve customers that are on remote islands, for example. So we had to learn as a group how to serve those isolated customers, to use batteries and integrate them into small grids. We have been able to leverage that experience, bring it to the U.S. market, leverage the understanding that we as a developer, EDF Renewables in North America, at uh, the electricity markets in the U.S., at the tariffs. And when you put that together, we build a software that we think is, is extremely strong. In addition to that, on the EV side, we have uh, bought a company. Uh, the original name of Powerflex comes from a company that was developed first at Caltech uh, in the lab of Stephen Love. And we've leveraged years of research that had been done at Caltech, patents that we have exclusive license to that allow us to do the adaptive load management. That's the, the piece of technology that we use on the, on the EV side that allows us to really differentiate, uh, be extremely cost competitive by limiting the amount of upgrades that we need to do on a site when we want to install 50 or, or like we have 160 EV chargers on a site at a tech company in California today. This is thanks to this technology and thanks to the, the years of research that were done at Caltech. So this is how we differentiate the customer relationships and then the software that is allowing us today to win more. Yeah, well, I wouldn't want to give a sales pitch after you, to be honest. This is a, yeah, I, I think, I mean, this is what I wanted to come back to was that issue of, of uh, scale and integration. So you have, you know, it seems like you have very strong benefits from just being a large company that can scale solutions and that can explore them like you put out in islands and then transfer those elsewhere. And I also was interested by your, you know, how much you're integrating renewables and EV charging and storage. It's just, 
you know, there's efficiencies with vertical integration, which I think is was sort of forgotten for a period of time, perhaps. I mean, I don't want to bring Tesla into it again, but you know, it's, it's a very popular company and it's very well known that one of its big benefits has been vertical integration. And it seems like, again, you're using vertical integration to have, have really efficient, effective solutions. Is, I mean, am I getting that right? Is there more you can say about these yeah, issues of scale and integration? You're absolutely getting that right. And you know more about Tesla because you, you cover them closely than I do. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a very interesting barometer for, for the oil industry and seeing them coming back uh, to the solar and storage, stationary storage sector is, is an interesting uh, yeah, I mean, I, I should say, I wasn't actually thinking about that with Tesla. It's just, they're very famous for, you know, uh, the auto industry outsourced for decades. They yep. just started outsourcing okay. more and more and more. Yep. And Tesla sort of made vertical integration in the auto industry. Like, it's been a big story for, you know, that's very popularized. Yep. So I wasn't really thinking about the other stuff, but but just the concept of vertical integration. And it seems like you mentioned the software that you guys have, the the Caltech work that you've that you've brought into it and just sounds like you're it's this similar kind of thing like hey don't forget about vertical integration this is how you really get efficiencies and cost-effective solutions that's sort of how i was sort of hearing it yeah, yeah i think there you're right but we also selective so it's not vertically integrating everything we do there is a uh, make or buy decision on every step of the value chain for us so if you take something like the manufacturing of the EV chargers, for example, this is not something we're doing today because we can partner with manufacturers that allow us to turn those EV chargers smart by just including our microchip. And that's enough. We do not need to go upstream and integrate further as you were alluding to in, in the car industry with Tesla. I think what, what is really essential is on the software side to have an integrated view. And there it really started for us in the mid 2010. So those markets were non-existent essentially in the US, but we knew that this was going to come. And we had that very, uh, very 80s image of the Voltron. So I don't know if you remember that uh, animated carton of the 80s, it's like a robot that gets bigger by assembling the different pieces and it gets together and it forms a bigger robot that is more powerful and more, more useful. Not, not and, Transformers, different one. Well, it's the same principle. It's, it's okay. just a little okay. easier because it's older. <laughs> okay. I remember Transformers in the 80s or 90s, but... Um, yep. Yeah, it's, not, this, it's, it's sort of the same, uh, it's the same uh, concept. And we use that concept to reflect what we have been thinking about for the software. It's letting the teams that were focused on EVs continue to optimize the algorithms for EVs, but doing it in an architecture that is fully compatible. So when we need to take into account the charging and discharging of the battery, the production of solar, the load of the customer on which the, the EVs are sited, we are able to do that and we are able to scale that. So we, we have put those different elements into compartments that allow us to envision not only being a behind the meter player, but in a certain time frame, is it five years, is it 10 years? That's, that's a, again, a, a whole question of timing. We'll be able to play on both sides of the meter, be able to serve the network operators, serve the utilities with some of the flexibility that those batteries, 
Are they in the cars? Are they stationary? They're there and they're flexible. They can offer to the grid and we can turn ourselves into a virtual power plant. So that's, that's part of the vision as well. Yeah. And if I heard and remember correctly, you were saying earlier, like, you know, you, you offer the, the, the product as well as the installation, as well as uh, operation maintenance. Is that correct? Or that's correct. Yeah. So that's correct. In particular, the asset management in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of, you just take, it sounds like you take the, the stress and the kind of complication out of it for a customer, as well as just having, I'm, I'm sure, different, you know, you have efficiencies from doing all of those things instead of just parts uh, one, two, or, or three of them. Yeah. So it, sound, so it sounds like that's, I mean, that's what I'm thinking about when I, when I got on the integration uh, track it was just, that's what was sort of was highlighted in my head is some kind of efficiencies from that. Yes, it's efficiencies for the customer. You're right. We are we are trying to make it as simple for the customer as possible to adopt solar storage and EVs. It's efficiencies for us too, because we are a business and we need to make this profitable. And for that, the big challenge is the operating leverage. So all the the selling general and administrative costs that we have to manage in order to deliver to our customers, it only works if you scale the business. And so it's very important for us to have that view of an integrated product that we can scale at a very high level in order to make this business attractive for the shareholder. Yeah, so digging into detail on a few things, maybe three things, three more things here. Can you tell us a little bit about what adaptive load management is? Yeah, so I mentioned that earlier, it's the, it's the software that we use on the electric vehicle side to make sure that as we build a parking lot with 100 charging stations, we do not create a heavy cost at the time of the installation. That's the first part. And then we don't create additional cost as we operate because everyone's going to come in at 8.30 in the morning, plug in, and you're going to create a peak in your consumption. That is going to drive sometimes more than 50% of your energy bill if you're in California and you're subject to, the, to those demand charges. So uh, that's, that's what ad- adaptive load management does. It's making sure that we collect the feedback from the drivers. So we have an app. The drivers uh, can scan a QR code on the EV chargers. They can say, okay, I want to I be gone. Well, maybe they have a meeting today, so they're not going to be gone at five, but they may, may be gone at two. That's fine. We can manage that. We collect the information from all the drivers, and then we adapt the load according to the needs of the drivers and according to the capacity that is available for the whole system. And by doing this, we also allow to generate savings upfront. That's the first part I was mentioning earlier, where we, w- we will not have to upgrade the transformer. We will not have to do as much work as you would expect when you install 100 chargers in the electrical room, because we are we are using our technology to limit the upgrades that we are making uh, to the electrical installations. So it's a it's a it's a double benefit upfront and through the life of the project. We serve the drivers, but we don't put too much strain on the electrical system. Very good. And if I may add something there, sorry. The strain on the electrical system is, uh, I was talking about what happens on site for the customer, but if you step back and you look at the benefit that the grid can take, can get from that, it's also part of our mission, making sure that we offer that flexibility at the end of the grid. So the problems that we are creating by adding more EVs, adding more intermittent resources can be managed at the local level. 
And that's very, that's completely part of our mission at PowerFlex. It's serving the customers, but serving it in a way that doesn't deserve the grid. I think that's very detailed, but clear explanation. So thank you for getting into that. So another topic that's come up a few times here is basically data. And, you know, this, this kind of, you know, kind of popular thing to say is, you know, data is the new gold or, or something like this. Uh, data is, is where it's at across the economy. What can you say about the data that you get and how you use it for, with regards to EV chargers, solar storage, uh, the whole the whole shebang, as they say. Yeah, I think for the time being, we are really focused on making our machines learn more about how to charge and discharge for the storage, stationary storage piece. We're learning about the patterns of consumption on the EV side, but I think this, there's still a lot to do on that front uh, for us, and I think for the industry as a whole, being extremely mindful about privacy concerns. And so that's something that it's hard because, of, you know, every, everyone wants data, but then you get so much data and it's hard to uh, hard to know what to do with it. Sometimes sometimes you have, you know, the, the hard thing isn't getting the data, but sort of interpreting or using the data. Right. Oh, so you're absolutely right there. I think this is uh, why we got at this early, because we wanted to deploy our systems and understand what we can learn from operations. There are things that you cannot plan. There are changes in regulation that you cannot anticipate. And you need the experience of the, the information in general, the digital data that you're collecting in particular to, to uh, get better at this. The, I, I don't know if you were saying it's hard in reference to the, the privacy piece. I think for, for now, in what we do, it's still, it's still oh, no. I was easy just to avoid the privacy issue. No, I was just thinking in general, you know, data is gold, right? Everyone knows data is what's really valuable, but, you know, sometimes you get such a, it's very hard to get all the data together and then make sense of it and then use it in a way that's, you know, you know, using machine learning yeah. or AI or anything. It's just, I mean, it just can be difficult to, to use the gold that you have sometimes. Like maybe it's still buried under rocks and it's like, you, know, you have to get down to it. It absolutely needs to be refined. You're right. And so that, that means we need to attract the right talents that are highly thought, because as you said, it's not only the energy sector, it's the whole economy that is seeing that source of gold, right? Source of gold, sorry. And so we are really seeing this today at PowerFlex, where we are able to attract excellent people. It is also although it's very hard because you're competing against the, the, the tech companies. I think what we offer is a lot more meaning in what we do than others, because you're really fighting the good fight against climate change. And it's very present in our minds. Like, yes, we are business people. We are very focused on making sure that we, we deliver for our customers, but being able to step back and realize that you're doing this because you, you want to really change the world that has a lot of appeal to us and to the future people we want to recruit at PowerFlex. Yeah, you still you have a big a big brand, a big you know. I would think a lot of security is is you know people would want the security as well as the the fun of the transition as well as the kind of opportunity to go up and to go you know you're global, so you know you can you have there's always an appeal to being a global global company. I think. Well, uh, one more topic or a couple more maybe, but one more big one is the topic of, you know, resiliency. So, you know, we were a clean tech media outlet, but we've been writing a lot about what's going on in, in the 
in the U.S. right now and, and elsewhere, but with with heat waves and fires and all kinds of issues that have, are causing, you know, te Texas, California, everywhere, you know, in the Northwest. What is your role in, in helping with resiliency and these kind of 21st century problems? We are directly trying to help our customers with some resiliency solutions. I mentioned earlier the, the term microgrid. So a microgrid is when you're able to isolate yourself from the network and operate self-standing your electricity consuming infrastructure. And for some customers, think of a, a, a supermarket with all their refrigerators. This, what's at stake when you look at the possibility to be subject to the uh, PSPS, a uh, uh, power shutdown in California, is not only your energy bill, it's the whole inventory that you have uh, in, your, in your store. And think of other businesses, like we are working with uh, some wine manufacturers, for example, that are extremely exposed in, in uh, the Napa Valley, for example, that is one of the, the areas that is subject to those wildfires and the shutdowns that uh, the utilities have to make to, to prevent any fire. The um, solution we offer to them is not to say you're gonna be 100% clean. You cannot rely 100% on renewables at this point in an economic way. But what you can do is divide by four, five, six, the amount of diesel that you need to keep isolated. And diesel is, it's not only a question of limiting your, your CO2 emissions. It's also a question of availability. When you're, when a whole region is under shutdown, diesel is not only very expensive, it's also just not available. And so the ability to offer six, six times more resilience is something that is very valuable for some customers. And here again, it's, it's the technology being able to orchestrate your solar and your, your storage, your diesel genset, but it's also the software. The software piece is essential. And there again, we leverage years of experience that we, we had in the EDF group. So at the local level, this is what we can do for our customers. And then at the broader level, the flexibility that we can offer to the grid is something that we think as, as a whole, as a system and with other competitors that are going in the same direction, will help to manage those very strained greed issues that we're facing in California and in other parts of the nation. And uh, one more thing I was uh, forgot about was, you know, we, we still see pretty modest EV market share in the US, about 3% or something of yep. new car sales. Um, in Europe, it's been very exciting because Europe as a whole is basically going to be over 10% this year. But even if you look at Norway, which is 80% of new vehicle sales are plug-in vehicles, but their fleet is about at about 15% last I saw. So it still, it still takes time, even once you're hitting very high percentage of sales. But I'm just curious whether, you know, new car sales or overall fleet, how do you see the, the needs of the industry changing when we're at more like 5%, 10%, 30% plug-in vehicle market share? What do you, do you think it's just sort of building on top of this like blocks or is there something sort of dramatic that's going to have to change aside from what, we, what you're already talking about, which seems, you know. Yeah, important. I think it is. So it's anybody's guess, right? What sort of infrastructure are we going to put in place in order to charge those vehicles? Um, if you look at the, the goals that California has of 5 million vehicles on in, in uh, electric vehicle by 2030, you will then see something, if you, if you plug all those cars at the same time, the capacity they would draw would exceed the capacity of the grid in California today. 
So it gives, it gives just a, it's not going to happen. You're not going to charge all at the same time, but it gives a sense for the type of challenge that we're up against on the grid to be able to charge those vehicles. I don't know. Uh, I think it's really too, uh, too difficult to predict with certainty what model will prevail, whether charging along highways is going to pick up. It has not yet, but maybe it will at some point. I don't know if home charging is going to get so attractive that it's going to become the, uh, the single go-to solution. I, I know that workplace is a very convenient uh, way to charge with clean electrons. So we are uh, investing heavily because we think this is going to stay. But ultimately, what matters is to have the flexibility as a company to look at the evolutions in the market, to be ready to respond to the needs of our customers. And I think we will see a bit of the all of the above solution emerging. It's a little bit like you go to... Um, you, you were going to the airport 10 years ago and you were looking for a plug to charge your laptop or your, or your phone, you couldn't find one. And today it's, it's ubiquitous. And I think we will see the same sort of infrastructure evolving with the needs that are coming from the drivers in this case. Um, I think it's, it's very hard to predict exactly what's gonna be the share of workplace versus the share of home charging versus the share of corridor charging along the highways at, at a fast pace. We need to be we need to be agile and we need to be ready to uh, adapt. We have the right technology and infrastructure for that, and and we're ready. Yeah, I remember in. I remember having to you know find the the one pillar with a plug on it or something in an yeah, airport. Yeah. Now I mean that wasn't that long ago even, but but yeah, we just flew from from uh, flew to Europe and they. It, I was really impressed and surprised in some airports to see the level of of uh, of electrical outlet and USB charger integration in, in uh, waiting areas, which I think has improved a lot just in the past couple of years. Well, yeah, you, you're clearly focused very much on, on learning and adapting and evolving. Can you just give us some final thoughts on what you think is the key to success in the future for uh, for your company and for your for your product? Yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned our people. I think this is absolutely it, making sure that we continue to attract talents that are motivated by the mission and bring the skills we need to build a technology that's going to continue to differentiate us. As far as, as our business is concerned, to me, that's, that's the most important piece. Building that competitive advantage through technology will only come if we have the right people. Then as, as I turn to our customers, the one message I would have for them is to make sure they take a holistic view, that they don't go one by one technology by technology, side by side. And I'm not only saying that because this is how we're serving our customers. I really think if we want to accomplish the mission as a society, we need to have that sort of view. And we need to see large corporations continuing to, to do what they're doing, pledging for more renewables, more electric vehicles, and dedicate budgets for programs to do that and implement that across the nation and across the world. I really love that focus on holistic view and integration. Obviously, I've jumped on that a few times in this, but but I really like that about what you're doing and and I think how how everyone should look at this. So, appreciate that and appreciate all the detail and enthusiasm and uh, insight that you've offered today. It's really for me helpful and after talking about this topic for a decade, it's always nice to get more knowledge, you know, to to have a conversation where I learn a lot. So, thank you for that. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully talk soon. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.